This podcast is for informational purposes only. It is not intended to provide medical diagnosis or treatment advice. Guests on this podcast express their own opinions and conclusions. Please talk to your healthcare team regarding your specific situation. Welcome to the Speak Gyno podcast. I'm your host, Nee Gutenfelder. And on today's podcast, we have a special guest, Terry Moore. Terry and I met through our advocacy work as we're both participants in Survivors Teaching Students. It's a nationwide program through the Ovarian Cancer Research Alliance. And we have the opportunity to speak to third year medical students about how we were diagnosed, our signs and symptoms and treatments, in hopes that it will lead to an earlier diagnosis and detection in their future patients. When I first heard Terry's story, I thought everyone needs to hear this because Terry, you were healthy, seemingly asymptomatic. You really didn't have the typical symptoms of bloating, urinary frequency, pelvic or abdominal pain, or having difficulty eating or feeling full quickly. And it really illustrates that cancer does not discriminate. And at any point in our lives, our lives can change in an instant when we least expect it. Terry, could you tell us a little bit about yourself and take us back to how your journey started? Sure. Thanks, Neat. And thanks for having me on your podcast. I was looking forward to it. Absolutely. Well, I'm 58 years old, 59 mm-hmm. now. When I had cancer, I was 58. And my story actually starts with my husband's cancer. So that's probably a little different than most people's stories. But he was diagnosed with chronic myelogenous leukemia in March of 2018. So we were dealing with that and his treatment through that process when in May of 2018, I went to the ER at the hospital because I was having some physical pain. I'm having some abdominal pain that didn't seem normal to me. So I went in, the doctor did a CAT scan, did some some other tests and said to me, hey, you look fine. I think it's maybe gas trapped or something along that line. I'll give you some pain pills to go home with. You've got some cysts on your ovaries, but you know, but that's not causing your pain. Mm-hmm. So I left the ER that day and you know, kind of forgot about it. And I had my annual exam in August of that year. And I took my results with me. I thought, you know, she mentioned I had cysts, so I'll just bring them to my mm-hmm. OBGYN and, and let her know and, and we'll go from there. I had no concern at that point in time. I showed her the results. She looked a little bit concerned, did a physical exam, could feel the there was something on my ovaries and immediately ordered an ultrasound. Oh, wow. Um, so we did that process next. And then I had to come back to her office and she looked me in the eye and said, you know, this is probably pretty serious and serious meant cancer. We had not had the CA-125 test yet, but because of the the blood flow that they saw through the cyst on the ultrasound, that was the next step. And she immediately said, you're gonna have to have a hysterectomy and I'm going to send you to a gynecologic oncologist, Mm -hmm. um, which I often refer to as a GO because it gets hard to say that. Yes. (laughs) Um, But uh, she said, I could do the surgery. You're gonna have to have a, a complete hysterectomy, but I'm gonna send you there. And I said, well, if it's not, you don't know it's cancer. She said, no, I don't know for sure yet. We'll do the blood test, but you're having a hysterectomy regardless, Terry. There's no option here to delay this. So that's when I went to the, the GO. And at that point, he had my blood work back, and the CA-125 was 485, which was another strong indication mm-hmm. that it was cancer. And surgery was scheduled for the following week. Right. And for reference, the CA-125 normal range is typically less than 35 Right, that's right. Mm-hmm. And so 485 was not was not a good number. Nope. On the wrong Way side of the Way off the charts. Scale. Right. So I had the surgery, surgery confirmed with biopsy that it was ovarian cancer. 
And uh, I was, we were hoping it would not be cancer. That was not to be. And, and my joke is it was to be because um, that was my staging. Uh-huh. Um, it had spread, spread slightly to my bladder just a little bit. As my doctor said, it was a small B on the end of the two. And then I would next go through six rounds of chemotherapy. How was the chemotherapy treatments? Can you relate it to any other aspects of life or any other challenges? Yep, sure. So I was pretty confident going in that I'm pretty tough. I've had two babies naturally. I've had a miscarriage on my own. And at the age of 42, I decided to run a marathon. So I I knew what pain was. And and again, I'm pretty healthy. I've had some knee surgeries and some basic things, but I really take no medication for anything. No Mm -hmm. diabetes, no blood pressure, no, no real issues. So I was kind of up for the challenge. I thought, I'll, I'll do all right through this. I was wrong. Chemotherapy is extremely difficult for me. I would liken it to a, you know, a 12-round fight every time. I mean, it went all 12 rounds every time. Mm-hmm. So I would have chemo on Thursdays. You're pretty much there all day because it's about six hours of actual chemicals coming mm-hmm. into your body. And then I would miss the entire next week of work as well. Working from home in my bed, but unable to get dressed even because clothes hurt. Gosh. And the pain, the joint pain was probably extremely significant for me, as well as horrible headaches mm-hmm. that would last for days. And part of that is the Lunesta, which is the drug they give the you to. The Lunesta shot. Yes. Yeah, keep up your white blood cell count, which is great, but it causes joint pain, especially if you've got any arthritis in your body. So um, it was a very difficult time for me. And I found my ways to cycle myself into, you know, one down, five to go, two down, mm-hmm. four to go type of thing. Hey, you're halfway. To mentally help get through it. Right. And do you recall what chemo drugs you were on? Yep. Uh, carboplatin and Taxol. Taxol, I think the common ones yeah, for ovarian standard. cancer, the standard, the standard drugs that are often given to ovarian cancer patients. Okay. Well, like you mentioned, your story is unique because your husband was not well. He was diagnosed with cancer going through treatments prior to your diagnosis. And I can only imagine what that is like. Could you share about what did your support system look like? Sure. Um, yeah, with both of us having cancer, it was very, very challenging. A little more about my husband is he has had several major health issues in his life. He's had prostate cancer about 10 years ago. He's a diabetic. He's had heart issues as well. So mm-hmm. it was quite a shift in our relationship when he needed to be the primary caregiver, and yet he's taking a little pill of chemo every day himself. Now that I've been on both sides of the cancer issue, the caretaker and the person who needs ta- uh, needs the care, I'd almost say that it takes more out of you to be a really good caregiver. Mm-hmm. I think that's probably underestimated for folks and the support probably is lacking for those that, that have to give the care. In my case, my daughter stepped up to the plate as well as my friends and my coworkers. So many were great about sending food, a thoughtful gift, a card, a text, or a call. I reread all the cards I received after I was through treatment and they are still one of my, my treasures today that I hold on to. I can definitely see that. And I'm, I'm so glad that you stated specific things that other people did to support you because sometimes others want to help they don't know how you know is it okay to send a text i don't want to disrupt them you know if they're not feeling well or just you know how can they help survivors and friends and family that they really care about so i'm i appreciate you adding that piece in and and i think you're spot on about the caregivers i don't think caregivers are given enough credit and they're kind of the person behind the scenes they're there supporting the patient the survivor who a lot of times does have support but there's 
I, I do see support lacking for caregivers and, and oftentimes they don't speak up. They're just, you know, busy taking care of the patient. So right. and they feel such a responsibility that they have to take care of that individual. That is their main focus and goal almost nonstop mm-hmm. until they break. <laughs> Which isn't good. Which, <laughs> we don't want that. We don't want that. Hopefully, they, yes, they have some outlet before they get to the point where they break. Mm-hmm. Well, knowing what you know now, is there anything that you would do differently, if anything? Yeah, I'm not sure there's much I do differently. I was lucky in that I, I wasn't symptomatic. I happened to catch it early through an, through an exam. So I, I can't think of things about the process and things that happened to me that I didn't address as soon as I could have, other than I wish I would have asked the ER doctor if I should follow up about the cysts. I remember thinking about it, but I was in so much pain. I just, at the time, wanted to go home, give me the pills. I'm going to go home and just, you know, work this out, whatever mm-hmm. whatever's going on here and, and and get through that. So I think that would have been the one thing. Sometimes when you're in the moment, though, I think you don't know what you don't know and may not even know what to ask. Absolutely. She didn't seem concerned. So I thought she's not concerned. She just said, you got a couple cysts. Cysts are kind of common for females, Mm -hmm. right? For various reasons. And I just didn't think about it twice. Right. So Terry, what could you share? What hurdles did you face and how did you overcome it? Yeah, that's a good question because it was an interesting year for us, not only with my husband being sick as well, but I had started a new job in November of 2017. And when I started the job, I had to delay my start by a week because my husband had broken his back. And at first we thought he just has to be careful. He cracked some vertebrae Mm -hmm. in a fall, but come to find out his entire back was fused. So now it was suddenly an emergency surgery situation because he could have become paralyzed had he shifted wrong since his back was fused. So we, he had a 10-inch rod put in his back the week before I was supposed to start, and I delayed my start, but still his recovery was very hard. And mm-hmm. so I was trying to balance being 50 minutes from home at a new job at the same time of making sure he's, not, he's got what he needs, he's got his pills, he's taking them appropriately, he's got food at the same time. So that added a stressor right off the get-go. Then he ends up getting leukemia. And then a few months later that we find out I have ovarian cancer all within the first year of, an, of a new job. My goodness. So that was pretty stressful for me. I would say that's an understatement. Yeah. So having to balance health and family with, with, a, with a new role um, was difficult, but I will say the company has been amazing and they supported me in every step of the way. And I, I actually credit all of them as a part of my recovery mm-hmm. because they allowed me to concentrate on myself and my husband and they worked very hard to make my work life stressless. And I'll give you one more comment on this. The word stressless does not exist. When I typed it up and when I was doing my notes for this conversation today, mm-hmm. me, it came up as a misspelled word. <laughs> Stressful is a word, uh-huh. but the actual word opposite of that, which would be stressless, doesn't really exist in, in the dictionary. I found that really interesting that... <laughs> It says a lot about the word stress, right? right. And how, how it affects our lives. Absolutely. Because we actually need the opposite. We don't need stress. That's right. That's right. But Especially when we're going through treatment. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's definitely already an uphill battle. So we, we don't need the added stress whatsoever. Absolutely. And, and they really, truly removed all the stress from me. 
you actually answered my next question, which was, I was going to ask, did you work while in treatment? And it sounds like your company was phenomenal in working with you in making sure that you take care of you, get better focus on you and get better. So that's almost unheard of nowadays. I was very fortunate. I work from the bed for the next week, typically, and I would even go on video camera and they'd be say, they'd say, Terry, you're working from bed today. I say, yep. And they were okay. And they knew if I fell asleep or I, I had to sign off, I would do that. But I participate as much as I could in mm-hmm. video conferencing and, and phone calls. I'm so glad that you had that support. Terry, your treatment is not far that far out. Do you fear, have a fear of a recurrence? And if so, how do you manage it? Yeah, I, I don't know how you don't ever have a bit of a fear, and I don't know if it ever goes away. And I say that from having listened to other STS survivors tell their stories that are 17 years out who still, you know, still worry a bit. I asked my doctor that question at the end of my treatment. I didn't want to know before, mm-hmm. but at the end of chemo, I said, okay, what's my chance of reoccurrence now that we've made it through and I'm good? Right. And he told me 20%. And I said, well, that's an 80% chance that I will never have to go on the bag again, which is how I refer to chemotherapy, but you still have the 20%. So I think as you're in these quarterly checkups Mm -hmm. for a while, it does play on your mind. You think about it. I I think I just try to tell myself that if it comes back, I'll get through it Mm -hmm. and I'll manage it, but to take each moment for what it's worth because tomorrow life could change or end based on something totally different than cancer. That's very true. How is your husband doing today and how are you doing? I'm doing well so far. All the checkups are great. I feel good. My husband is doing pretty well as well. CML patients often take chemotherapy every day for the rest of their life, which is just a small pill. Mm-hmm. But doctor has said at his last visit in October that if he maintains in total remission, which is where he is now, by April, she will take him off the pill and we'll, we'll see how well he does. But if he stays in remission coming off the chemotherapy, which is a really big change in in this type of cancer. Mm -hmm. Normally, you just take it for the rest of your life. But they're starting to bring patients off it and finding that it's not coming back. That's very So we're excited about that. Yes. Based on what you've told us, you have been through a lot. Can you share with us what motivates you to keep going, moving forward? Uh, Once you've had cancer, you always get that life is precious moment again. Mm -hmm. And not the figurines, actually, thinking about how (laughs) precious life really is. Um, and how precious your health is and that you need to protect it. And this gave me another avenue to give back to others. I speak openly and often about my family's health issues and what we faced. I've even shared my story at an HR conference with 600 people in attendance at a dinner. And I do that so that people who are out in that audience or who you're speaking to know that they're not alone because there's always someone facing a difficult situation. We all face difficult situations on a regular basis. And so this, I'm hoping they won't feel alone Mm-hmm. that others have gone through difficult things. And also, in what way could I help them? So if they'll approach me, I've had people ask me questions. I've had people call me later to say, hey, I'm going through this and you shared your story. I'm scared about chemo. I don't know what to expect. How did you handle hair loss? Those kind of questions, I want to always be available for those for those folks. So, And that's one of the reasons why I, I volunteered to share my story through the SDS as well. Mm-hmm. Well, thank you so much for doing that because I know that it, it is making a difference for others who may be listening and going through just a difficult and challenging time, even though it might it may or may not be cancer, another health issue, something else that happens in life, just to know that you've made it through. So can they. Yeah. And just being an, an offer of support. So thank you so much for that. Could you share with us as well, are there any nuggets of wisdom 
for for those of us going through a challenging time. Sure, and I think this is mainly for women, but many women are still the caregivers in their home and the CEO of their home. They run everything. Mm -hmm. When you suddenly become the one who needs the care for whatever reason, whether you have cancer, whether you're going through a divorce, whether you're just facing a huge bout of depression, whatever that difficulty in your life is, you, you need to accept the role of being the person who needs the care. And you have to allow others to help and you have to learn to even ask for help, which for me was so very difficult. I, When I reflect back, I'm still not sure I ever truly just asked for help when I needed it. And it's a very humbling experience to be on the other side of the care relationship and needing the care when you've been always the caregiver. So realize people love you and they care about you and they really want to help. And so give them an avenue of what you really need. Don't, if they're doing things that you don't appreciate or want, you need to tell them, this isn't been helpful, but if you did this, this would be helpful for me. I think that's something that I would share with folks that are going through something really difficult is to be honest with those two that are trying to help you to make sure that it's truly a help for you. I think that's a really important message. It's very critical. And I hear of so many, just so many wonderful people being diagnosed with an illness where like you, primarily the person who is giving and helping other people. So when the roles are reversed and you're the one needing help, it is very, very difficult to speak up and ask for that help and how and what type of help you would like. Right. So thank you so much for sharing that, Terry, and opening up and sharing your story. I truly appreciate it. You're welcome. Thanks for having me, Nee. Thank you so much. I do also want to give a shout out to my husband and my sisters who has put in an enormous amount of time and effort behind the scenes to make this podcast a reality. Please share our podcast with someone that you think would benefit. And if you like what you're listening on our podcast, we appreciate a five-star rating on iTunes. And as always, we hope to empower you, inspire you, and spark conversations. Mm -hmm.